Reichman University. Do you remember your school cafeteria lunch lady? I do. She used to sneak me cookies during lunch. Her name was Miriam, and she was a hell of a character. Great lady. Recently, in a school in Scotland, the children got a new lunch lady in their cafeteria. She is super efficient, fast, smart, and accurate. But the young students don't know their name. They don't need to, because the new lunch lady is a computer. And this computer is facial recognition. Isn't that crazy? Let's talk about it. Facial recognition is beginning to be executed in schools worldwide, from paying for your lunch with it to monitoring your classroom activity. This technology is here to stay. But before we take a deep dive with our guest, Ofer Ronan, EVP of Global Business Development at Coresight AI, let's hear from parents and how do they feel about facial recognition being implemented in schools. I am your host, Abby Bross, and this is the CMI Podcast. I think it could be a good thing, but uh, I'm worried that it's maybe not regulated enough. I'm very careful if it comes to the privacy of my children. I'm all for facial recognitions in school because I think in terms of security, at least the schools know exactly who is entering and exiting. I won't approve uh, that facial recognition technologies will be used on my children inside schools because I don't know what the, um, the uses of these recordings uh, and information about my children will be used in the future. So I won't approve. I think that although it sounds intimidating, it can actually be a positive change. Actually, I don't know how I feel about it because I don't know like a lot about this topic. So today I can say that I don't have any problem, but from the second hand, probably there are a lot of security and, and I don't know, and information that I don't want to be published about my kids. So like, I don't know enough. Thank you so much for joining us today. As we know, Coresight is an industry leader in AI. Can you tell us a bit more about the facial recognition technology that Coresight handles? So uh, there are many uh, different face recognition companies in the market today. And uh, it, there is a differentiation between the different types of companies. So most of the face recognition companies in the market today, they are addressing what we call the kiosk scenario. Uh, we all know it from uh, the airport, from passport control. When you approach the kiosk, you put your uh, passport, you take off your sunglasses, you take off your hat, try not to move and not to smile too much, and hopefully the system will be able to recognize you. This is not what Corsite is doing. Corsite was built in order to be able to recognize a single terrorist or a single hooligan or a shoplifter in a large crowd. And uh, it basically needs a totally different set of skill set to do that. Okay, so can you explain to us a bit more about what makes the, the technology so different in Coresight? Yes, so first of all, Coresight is a, a subsidiary of Cortica. And Cortica is an Israeli AI powerhouse that was uh, established in 2007. Till today, they managed to uh, register more than 250 patents related to AI. So it is really 
you know, unproportional to Israeli startup to have such deep knowledge in AI and such deep technology in artificial intelligence. Wow, that's amazing. 230 patents. That's practically unheard of for me, at least. <laughs> it... Yes, it's in the scale of the large, uh, you know, uh, giants like Microsoft and, and Amazon, not, not for Israeli startup. Uh, so we are coming with, with a legacy of really uh, advanced technology in AI, uh, which give us the ability uh, with relatively small team to be able to bypass the capabilities of giants in the market. So uh, with very small R&D team, we've got about 10 people in R&D. Uh, uh, we managed to rank ourselves uh, at the top uh, of the world, you know, benchmarks of face recognition. The world benchmark is the NIST. It's the U.S. Non National Institute of Science and Technology. And they graded us uh, at the top uh, uh, of the face recognition market. Uh, and more than that, as we will talk today also about the ethics, uh, we are number one worldwide in reducing the racial bias uh, against Afro-Americans that is inherent in the face recognition technology. That's honestly, that's incredible. We know that it's one of the biggest problems that there is today with this technology. So it's amazing to see a company working this way. We know that there is the trust center in Corsair AI with the these eight principles that guide you. So, yes. it, you know, the equality and fairness, privacy, security and data governance, human autonomy, robustness and beneficence, transparency, accountability, responsibility to society and environment, and building organization awareness. You talked a bit about the racial, how you guys are combating uh, minimizing racial bias. I want to know from your perspective, what is the most important principle to follow to ensure ethics and technology in your opinion? I think that the first rule is to really, really careful about the partner you choose, the partners in the market and the customers. I can tell you that in Corsight, we have a, a very strong chief uh, privacy officer. His name is Tony Porter. Until last January, he was the uh, CCTV and surveillance commissioner of the UK. So he was the uh, UK regulator, basically writing the guidelines to the UK police, other entities, about what they are allowed to do and what they are not allowed to do in face recognition. And these guidelines were adopted all across Europe. And more than that, is now uh, uh, taking a position in several committees uh, in the US that uh, he was actually invited by the US government to take part in these committees to build the future guidelines on ethical and proper use of face recognition. It, you mentioned how technology can be implemented in different places such as airports. I want to talk to you about a case that happened approximately two months ago in Scotland where facial recognition technology was tried to be implemented inside schools, specifically children paying for their lunches with this technology. Within a week, the program was shut down because of outreach. So what do you think of these outrages? And do you think that implementing this technology without consent is justified in this scenario? Can you please explain what was the problem in the use case? So 
Uh, basically, uh, children in this school, they would pay for their lunches with the, by scanning their face. But a lot of parents consented to it. The, the people who were in outrage argued that this technology, that children don't know what they're getting into, that a lot of parents don't actually know how the technology works or how, how the data itself is being used. And so it was shut down. So there's this outrage that children don't really know what they're consenting to or parents. Okay, so first of all, I don't think that children should consent to such a thing. It's their parents that should sign on it. Uh, at least this is my point of view. And, uh, but there's also, uh, you know, an aspect of, of uh, you know, market education. Uh, I think that uh, if they got to this point, it means that the company providing the service did not do the right uh, market education work there. Because uh, when we approach a customer, first of all, we do uh, uh, you know, a privacy assessment uh, a process with him, uh, explain to the customer exactly uh, uh, what is the exposure, uh, what data has been saved, and what are the means to protect the data so no one else could approach it and, and misuse it. So, uh, for example, a, a core site uh, never have any access to the customer data. Uh, once we install a system to a customer, we never have any uh, way to access the data. It, the data is owned by the customer. Uh, and for example, in such cases like uh, uh, you know paying for a children la a, 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 a lunch, then I would start from the very simple point that every midnight you delete all the information, for example. Uh, and you don't need, without technology, you don't need to save their photos. You can save what we call a signature, which is a, a, a mathematical representation of the face that is not reversible to a photo. So we don't even need to keep the photos. Uh, and in addition, it needs to be an opt-in, of course, solution. So people need to have the uh, ability to uh, they want to have easier life. They allow you to recognize them by the face. They don't want to allow you to uh, use their face. They can always use the old uh, method. I think it's the same in airports today. No airport, uh, uh, you know, uh, I didn't see an airport that really forced you to go to the biometric uh, uh, entry or exit. Uh, you can always go and stand in line. You pay a price by standing, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes in line. But you've got this option. You want an easier life. You trust the government. You give them your biometric, and then you can pass quickly. Twenty minutes? Oh my god! I've done like an hour at the airport. I wish I had a, the opportunity to do biometric. So, uh, going back a bit to uh, to the to what we were talking about the situation with kids and facial recognition technology, uh, we know that Corsite AI doesn't really deal with a uh, with children with their facial recognition technology. I just want to know that what do you think should be the guiding principles of ethic usage? Should you think that they should be the same for children as they are for the general population? First of all, yes, Corsight have decided at this point of time not to deal with facial recognition for children. We are not training our neural network on children. Uh, there are a lot of ethical issues around it until we will get 
satisfying answer about them, uh, we will not do that. Uh, but once we will approach this uh, uh, segment, and I believe that at a certain point in the future we will approach it, uh, it will need to be, uh, uh, you know, approached very uh, uh, delicately and, and with a lot of uh, uh, sensitivity. Uh, you cannot force children to give their biometrics. You cannot ask children to sign on it. Again, the parents should make the decision if they are under 18. Uh, so I, I believe there should be like a double consent. The parent and the, and, and the child should both consent. And then it needs to be for a very specific use. Again, this is a great uh, use case to allow them to pay for lunch. So they don't need to carry money. They don't need to worry about it. Uh, it it's the most efficient, very quick uh, and very secured way but it needs to be built right and it needs to be approved by the, the, the end user at the end. No, definitely. I think the building right part is very important in the process. And so how do you think that in the future, children can be incorporated into these data sets and mechanisms of facial recognition databases, you know? Okay, so I believe that eventually face recognition will replace all means of identity, passport, credit cards, driving, uh, driver license, everything. Even the passport to our uh, uh, computers and to our mobiles, it will all be replaced by face recognition. And to get to this point, you also need to allow children and teenagers to be able to use it. Uh, in order to get to that point, first of all, you need to have reliable databases that were built uh, in an ethical way. And that's the first challenge. Where do you find a database in order to train neural networks that is coming from a source that you are sure that is ethical, that these people agreed and their parents signed that you are allowed to use their photos to train neural network. So that's the first challenge. And, and you know, we are still waiting for some answers about that. And the second point is, is the market maturity. Uh, we do believe that, you know, while some of the parents are really concerned, uh, but the children, they will grow into a reality when this is like, uh, you know, like we use the key today, they will use face recognition. They will not see it as an issue. Uh, it just needs to be built right and you need to build the environment for it to secure the information. I think that's about it. Okay. Uh, so if I'm understanding correctly, part of the issue right now is how people understand the technology, right? That's part of the market maturity. People are usually afraid from what they don't understand. Okay. Uh, like if you go before industry revolution, people were afraid that it will replace their, uh, they, they will lose their jobs. Same with AI. I'm sure people will lose their jobs because of AI, but new jobs will, you know, come to the market to replace them. Uh, and AI is basically here to replace the uh, repeated Sisyphical work that need to be done for hours or for days and on and on and on. AI does not get tired. It doesn't lose focus and it make lots, uh, 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 you know, less 
mistakes than the human eye. Just to give an example, uh, you know, everyone talks about racial bias, but no one talks about the human racial bias. And I'm talking about if you are a, a, a Western and a group of 10 Chinese uh, 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 visitors are coming to your uh, uh, passport control uh, uh, stand, most likely two of them can replace, they can exchange passport and you will never know about it because our ability to recognize spaces from different ethnicities are not that good. For, for Western person, all Chinese look the same. For Chinese person, all Americans look the same. For African, all white people look the same. So that's the problem. AI is less uh, sensitive to uh, racial bias. Even with all the issues that people complain about uh, uh, AI racial bias, it is less biased than the human eye. That's an interesting take that I had actually I hadn't thought of before. But you know, it it can be right trained in the right way, obviously. And I want to ask you: Do you think that following ethical practices can hinder the performance in an AI, or can boost it and make it better? Uh, sure, I, I think this is the key for success because, you know, I don't want to mention names of companies in this industry, but I'm sure you can very easily Google and see so much bad publicity around face recognition. This is because some companies really misuse the technology. You can see, for example, a US-based company that, you know, was accused in a US uh, court, uh, was convicted for stealing its customers' data to train the neural network. So how can you trust a company that, you know, a, 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 you know, unlawfully took data from its customer and used it for training, how can you trust them uh, to manage your face recognition? And you can see some other companies that you know, basically uh, one of them just changed its name, uh, writing off something like $40 million investment in uh, brand awareness, just to get rid of the bad reputation that they got. So, you know, how about trying to keep your reputation by using, uh, you know, decent use and, and keep your ethics. And then you don't need to write off all these millions. Uh, and, and I believe this is the problem. There are companies that got, you know, uh, they, they don't put the emphasis on the ethics. They, and again, it is a challenge because as a commercial company to say no to a deal that you know that can bring a lot of money to the company and make you very profitable, but it will be used in a very unethical way. It is a challenge. It is a challenge. And I must say that for me, it's very easy that I've got Tony Porter. So basically, uh, I got my back covered. I will not wake up five years from now for uh, some uh, news report and talking about how uh, uh, Corsair technology was uh, used to, uh, you know, uh, um, find the opposition in some uh, country in, 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 in uh, you know, or, or to, uh, like we are to uh, uh, spy on 
innocent people just to, you know, because the government didn't like them. Uh, so I, I'm really feeling confident that, that even if I'll do a mistake, there is someone to catch it before I do it uh, in the company. And I think this is the way to do it. Uh, uh, there should be another layer aside to the business that say, no, this is a no-go deal because we are not sure uh, it will have a proper uh, use of the technology, an ethical use of the technology. Okay, so you, so from what I just understood, you say that inside the technology, inside the company, there's a kind of like this uh, regulation that you do to yourselves in order exactly. to keep your, okay, in order to keep yourself ethical. So what is your recommendation for other companies on how can the, they can regulate themselves and their products? Okay, so there are several layers to it. First of all, there is the technology. The technology needs to be built in a way that you give the customer the tools to anonymize the data, to secure the data, to delete what is not a must. You only keep what you must keep, all the rest you delete. That's the first rule of privacy. You don't keep information for years and photos for years just because you can. You delete everything. You keep only the minimum that is necessary to get the job done. Well, it sounds that there is self-regulation even from the business side, which is incredible yes, yes, to be honest. Yes, there is there is some uh, self-regulation because again, we also don't want to waste our time and we don't want to waste our chief privacy time. Uh, uh, so things that we know that you know, not going to pass. We're not going to put our effort on it. Uh, uh, so uh, that's that's a big challenge for us. And I'm sure you know the situation with software engineers in Israel. You know, uh, people basically jump from one job to another after six, ten months. Uh, and, and we've got stability. No one in the R&D left in the last two years. And, and that's one of the reasons, because they feel that they are doing ethical job. I'm sure that if we would sell to some dictators, uh, many of them would have left already. That's one point. The second point is when you look at the long-term, long-term thinking, uh, being uh, a beacon of light in this industry that got so much bad reputation about uh, unethical use of technology, uh, this is where we see ourselves. And, and at the end, when giants in the market like Google, like Microsoft, like Amazon, uh, we look for face recognition partners, they will not touch the companies that, you know, got the bad reputation uh, attached to them. So this is how we see it. Yeah. It's also not from the business side. This is what I'm saying. <laughs> no, it makes total sense. You know, what... what company wants to work with somebody who has a bad reputation it makes total sense very, very simple rules very easy to follow hopefully yes okay so and now i we wanted we've seen uh, we think that a lot of the outrage that stems from facial recognition technology can stem from fear why do you why do we think that People fear this technology, especially with children. We've talked a bit about how to ensure an ethical process of it, but it, where do you think this fear comes from? Again, people are afraid from what they don't understand. It's same with the vaccine. It's same 
with the industrial revolution, it's same everywhere. People, you know, wrote uh, books about uh, robots killing uh, people uh, 200, 300 years ago. So people are afraid from what they don't know. So education and gradually uh, uh, introducing the technology. Uh, uh, if we talk, for example, about a uh, football stadium, uh, they first implemented for VIP entrance. So instead of taking it as something, you know, that is negative, this is a bonus. You want to skip lines? You use your face. This is a bonus. This is a great technology to make your life easier. Think about the future of aviation, okay? Think about instead of coming three hours prior to flight to the airport, you are just coming 30 minutes before. You don't need to do a check-in because the camera at the entrance already recognizes you. It already knows which flight you're about to take. So it's virtually doing a, a, a check-in process for you. You just put your, be your bag on the belt and the camera knows where you're flying to and automatically connects the, uh, uh, the bag to the right flight. So you don't need to you know, talk to anyone, you just put a bag. And also for the security side, uh, CoreSight today have a, a, a sister company called Citru that do the X-ray and CT screening of the baggage through AI. So you don't need to have a human checking your bag. Uh, then you proceed to where it used to be the passport control. And again, you don't need to stop at the kiosk. You don't need to talk to people. You just walk through there and the cameras around you will recognize you and virtually stamp your passport. And the last thing, uh, boarding. No more mistakes of people boarding the wrong plane, getting into the wrong destination. If you made a mistake, the system will recognize it. If you're in the wrong side of the terminal, the system can send an alert to your mobile phone telling you you're in the wrong place. You're about to miss your flight. So less people will miss their flight. So the all traveling experience should be much, much better. Uh, again, saving a lot of time and a lot of frustration standing in long lines for you and make it also more uh, efficient for the airports and save a lot of money on all these people that are working in the screening process in the airport, basically AI can replace them all. That sounds actually like a very practical way of explaining how this technology is implemented. I think that some of the fear that might come off it, you know, because people don't really understand how it works, can come from, uh, from a definition that they got maybe from science fiction of, of, of the technology, you know? There's author... Yeah, exactly. Like Terminator, like like iRobot, you know, Isaac Asimov. He's one of the big science fiction writers. Exactly. Exactly. So and it, while I'm mentioning him, he actually has three laws of robotics. I don't know if you've heard about them. He implemented these laws in his book so that every robot or technology has to follow. And I'm just going to mention mention the laws really quickly. So basically, the first law is that a robot cannot injure a human being uh, or, through an action, allow a human being to come to harm. The second law is that a robot must obey orders given by human beings themselves, except when an order would conflict with the first law. And the third law is that a robot must protect itself in its own existence as long as the protection does not conflict with the first or second law. 
So as we can see, uh, going back to the to the eight principles that a core site has, uh, we think we we really we're really interested in human autonomy and how Isaac Asimov's uh, laws can can tie into that. So how how has CoreSight created a platform that is human compliant and doesn't stray from human insight? I think again, it's all coming to the basic do no harm. Uh, uh, technology is technology. It can be used for good, it can be used for bad. The process of choosing your partners, the process of choosing your customers is the important one. The same, the same tool in the wrong hands will do damage. In the right hands, it will give a lot of benefit. That's that's the only way to do it. So so we just need to know who's gonna get it, and then we can we can be assured that no Terminator future is gonna be in our midst. Uh, again, I can assure you that we will not sell the core side face recognition uh, to Terminator-like uh, application. I cannot guarantee it for any other company. Uh, but yes, there should be regulations about AI. There should be regulations about face recognition. Uh, uh, government uh, uh, shouldn't rely only on internal ethics of companies uh, uh, to do the work. At the end, it's the regulator work to give the guidelines and make sure that everyone, you know, uh, comply interesting you know who can recognize who knows all about this the education within it. it how can people you know learn more about this technology you know how can we get the market educated in order to move forward into getting it more applied in more spaces i think that first of all you know people already use it all around us on your mobile phone most of us give uh, you know uh, Apple and Samsung and other mobile manufacturers the right to recognize our face. Let's <laughs> just think about it for a second. Everyone are against face recognition. How many of those are using it to unlock their mobile phones? No, I know I am, <laughs> but... Okay, so people are getting used to this technology and uh, slowly and gradually they understand that it's like any other technology. You know, I see people uh, so afraid from face recognition and their privacy, but, you know, two minutes later, they put a post on Facebook telling the world exactly where they've been, what they do, uh, when, uh, uh, give to Google their full, you know, everything about them. We've got basically a, a, a device that follow us and keeps all the information, exact information about the location that we were in the last, I don't know, since we bought the mobile phone. Uh, uh, and people are not concerned about it. They're concerned only about people, about technologies that, you know, more related to science fiction movies that they've seen. No, definitely. I even got personal friends that tell me, oh, you follow people. I know that face recognition technology is following me. And I'm like, using face recognition technologies to follow you would be the most, uh, uh, you know, uh, the worst uh, economical way to do it. You know, 
you just need to access your Google. I know everything <laughs> about you. I don't need to use expensive technology and smart cameras to do that. But again, people grew up on Asimov and other science fiction, and not all of them can differentiate between science fiction and, and the real use of technology. That's so true, especially what you said about the phones that we carry basically a geo tracker everywhere and nobody seems to mind. But when we get to the airport, suddenly we're like, no, no, don't look at my face. Don't look at my face. So how do you think we can bridge it, this like gap between one and the other? I think just time. We need time. The, the new generation, my kids, they really, they, they don't understand why my generation are concerned about face recognition. So again, this is a change. It's like, you know, the generation before the industrial revolution, they were really afraid for machinery. The generation, one generation after it, it was a reality. And this is how it will be, it will be a reality. Well, for I, for one, can't wait to see how it evolves and to see how Corsite continues to grow and be implemented everywhere. So thank you so much for being with us today. It, it's been a wonderful, wonderful chat. Thank you. It was a pleasure. We thank Ofer Ronen for joining us today. This podcast was a collaboration with the Tsvimitar Institute and IDC Radio. We thank Noah Marks and Lav Sadeh, Imbar Carmel, Professor Dov Greenbaum, and Yvonne Sava. Thank you for listening to the ZMI podcast. All our shows and podcasts available online on our website and on all podcast platforms. Search Audioversity. 